is 80s Revisited. I'm your producer, Jesse Sedgley. And now, your host, Trey Harris. It's pretty. Yeah, I like it. Just been fooling about with it for a few months now. Very delicate. It's a, it's a bit of a departure from the kind of thing you normally play. Yeah, well, it's part of a, uh, a trilogy, really, a musical trilogy that I'm doing in D minor, which I always find is really the saddest of all keys, really. I don't know why, but it makes people weep instantly to play a... It's a horn part. It's very pretty. You know, just simple lines intertwining. You know, very much like I'm really influenced by Mozart and Bach, and it's sort of in between those, really. It's like a Mach piece, really. It's, what do you call this? Well, this piece is called uh, Lick My Love Pump. And there you go. That clip, that short clip, pretty much sums up the entire essence of the band, the myth, the legends known as Spinal Tap. But let's dive into the movie. This is Spinal Tap right here on the latest and greatest episode of A's Visited. I, of course, I'm your host, your David St. Hubbins of the piece, Trey Harris. And with me, as always, our own, very own Nigel Tufnell, Jesse Sedgley. Yes, I am. Yeah, I thought about coming in with the English accent and just running <laughs> it into the ground, but I didn't want to tick off our friends in the UK. All right, right. Go <laughs> ask me never to do that again. So if it comes up a couple of times on the episode, I'm sorry, can't help it. But yeah, sorry about missing last week. We had a little family vacation. Ended up having to leave a little bit earlier than I anticipated for, so weren't able to get this out last week. Uh, but don't worry, all three of our emails that we have, we will get to at the end of the episode. But yeah, this is Spinal Tap, a film I was, if you had asked me a couple weeks ago, I would have bet my life that we had already covered on this podcast. But alas, we hadn't. But now we fixed it. Uh, the movie came out March 2nd. Hey, just a, a couple months, uh, 1984, of course, uh, not too long ago. But I was looking at the date and it's May. I was like, oh, wait, uh, it actually is a long time ago. Uh, I was thinking it was still April to say it was last month. A few years ago, last month, 18, uh, 40, 38 years ago, last March 2nd. There you go. Uh, IMDb 7.9, which is pretty good for IMDb. However, get this, Rotten Tomatoes, 95% critics, 92% audience. This might be, Rotten Tomatoes-wise, the most well-received film we've ever done on the <laughs> podcast. I mean, 95 and 92, I'd have, we'd have to go back and take a look to see uh, what might fall into that range, but that is exceptionally high. And in my opinion, well, well-deserved as we'll get into in just a moment, but let's get the factual stuff out of the way. Uh, this is Spinal Tap was made on a $2.5 million estimated budget. It opened. Uh, how, uh, yeah. How, how big was the opening? Oh, well, it was pretty big. It was like 30. I think it was 30, 30. Uh, yeah. The 30 million, no, a thousand, 30,000. Uh, yeah. $30,000 <laughs> in its opening weekend. Good to give it number 29 for the week. Way behind number one, the number one film of the week, which was the Kevin Bacon classic, Footloose. A different kind of musical <laughs> film, uh, though uh, I can tell you I like, I like Spinal Tap a lot better than Footloose. Domestically, would go on to gross $4.7 million, so it did make its money back. Uh, could not, again, older, these older movies, it's 
there's not a lot of info out there that I could find, at least uh, with the worldwide or the rentals. But rest assured, this film is a cult film, not because of what it did at the box office, but what it did on TV and home and other appearances that uh, the cast, uh, the, that Spinal Tap themselves, because they actually are real people uh, in a real band, uh, even though it's a mockumentary, uh, did <laughs> to promote the, the film and everything. Uh, directed by the great Rob Reiner. I say great because he did Princess Bride, Stand By Me, Misery. And when Harry met Sally, so very good director, uh, a very uh, he's done. He's a decent director. He's done a lot of good movies, put it the, uh, a mm. few good movies, uh, I should say, uh, written by Spinal Tap themselves. Christopher Guest, who's a very accompl- accomplished, accomplished writer, uh, best in show, a mighty win mascots. He's a genius of that kind of mockumentary style. Uh, if you haven't seen any of those, I highly suggest all three of them. Uh, hilarious and Fantastic. Uh, Michael McKean, Harry Shearer, and Rob Reiner, and, uh, along with Christopher Guest, all wrote the script, which is mainly improvisation. Uh, but also, uh, you know, Michael McKean, they all wrote some a few other things, but none of them are in the have the, have had the career in writing as much as Christopher Guest did. Cinematography was by Peter Smokler or Smokler. Uh, 102 episodes of Always Sunny in Philadelphia hmm. and 10 episodes of Pee Wee's Playhouse. So you put those together, you get the perfect mixture to be the cinematographer for Spinal Tap. And speaking of the tap, we got the men themselves that made this movie great. Michael McKean as David St. Hubbins, 243 IMDb credits. This is, he's one of those guys that I think a lot of people like, he's one of, quote, you know, those guys in film. Like everybody recognizes him. Oh, I've seen that guy in something. Because mm-hmm. you have, you've seen him in a ton of stuff. Uh, most notably for me, of course, Clue, he's Mr. Green. And of course, uh, Better Call Saul. In another 80s classic, Daryl, or D-A-R-Y-L. But again, 243 credits. Not the most of a cast member of this movie. We'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, Christopher Guest is Nigel Tufnell. Of course, he was the six-fingered man in The Princess Bride. In addition to all the movies that he wrote, he's also starred in all of them as well, pretty much. Uh, He's been married also to Jamie Lee Curtis since 1984, the same year this movie came out. It was a good year for Christopher Guest. Spinal Tap was released, and he got married to the JLC. And as a fun fact, they got married at Rob Reiner's house. So there you go. Uh, Harry Shearer is Derek Smalls, uh, Truman Show. Uh, most notably, though, he's he's this in The Simpsons. He's the voice of Ned Flanders, Principal Skinner, and Mr. Bones. Uh, but for me, honestly, when I think of Harry Shearer, uh, I honestly think of his very small but very impactful role in the 90s classic Wayne's World 2 as uh, <laughs> Handsome Dave, I think was his name. He's the radio disc jockey. And they're like, oh, Handsome we're from Dan. the Wayne stock. Handsome Dan, thank you. Yeah. Uh, it's, are we going to get to see Handsome Dan? And then Harry Shearer comes out and they're like, oh, you know, because he's got a face for radio or voice right. for radio, as they say. Or you know, face for radio. I had it right the first time, as they say. Yeah, first the, Ted uh-huh, McGintley uh-huh. walks out, you know. Yo, oh, that's, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you must be Handsome Dan. No, I'm the scream, screaming traffic guy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> And then, uh, oh, hey, I've had some dead. <laughs> great, great little bit there. And then, of course, Wayne's World 2 is the 90s. We won't cover on this podcast unless we have a 90s month. Uh, but anyway, yep, Wayne's World 2, underrated sequel. Right there with Gremlins 2, the new batch, in my opinion. Uh, a little bit of info about Harry Shearer, though, uh, especially relates to my hometown and, of course, where you're at right now, Jesse, in Baton Rouge in Louisiana. Uh, he has homes in Santa Monica and in the French Quarter in New Orleans. Uh, he first went to New Orleans in 88 and has attended every jazz and heritage festival since. And he often speaks and writes about the failures of the federal levy system, which flooded New Orleans 
during Katrina. So uh, he's an outspoken critic of that and, I guess, an honorary Louisianian. So mm. hats off to Harry Shearer. Uh, also starring Bruno Kirby as Tommy uh, Bichetta. Uh, most notably, I always remember him from City Slickers. He's also in Good Morning Vietnam and Donnie Brasco. And I did not know this, but he actually passed away way back in 2006. Because I'm looking at his picture. I'm like, God, Bruno Kirby, I haven't thought of him in forever. And I haven't seen him in anything recently. Didn't think that he had passed away. But sure enough, unfortunately, Bruno Kirby has passed away. Uh, June Chadwick was Janine, uh, uh, David's girlfriend in the film with the matching haircut. Uh, she was in V, the television series, not the mini series, but she was in the actual TV series of V, kind of a adversary to the villainous Diana. And also, she starred with Whoopi Goldberg in Jumpin' Jack Flash. Rob Ryan, in addition to directing, also starred as Marty DeBerge, the director in the movie. Uh, he was a, uh, he got his career goes all the way back to being a delivery boy on Batman. 1966, uh, but also The Jerk, Sleepless in Seattle. He's, he's in front of the camera. He's behind the camera. Real kind of renaissance man when it comes to film, I guess. Uh, the lovely but annoyingly voiced Fran Drescher as Bobby. Of course, the nanny, but a veteran of the podcast because she starred in the classic UHF. Uh, Ed Bagley Jr. as Stumpy. Remember I mentioned there was a competitor to uh, Michael McKean's uh, 243 IMDb, IMDb credits. Ed Bagley Jr., ladies and gentlemen, 332 IMDb credits. Uh, Pineapple Express, and far, as far as movies go, uh, Ghostbusters 2016, and much like Michael McKean, Better Call Saul. Mm. So they had a nice little Spinal Tap mini reunion, mm-hmm. or cast reunion, uh, on Better Call Saul, though I don't think they shared any scenes together. Uh, and also, this film is loaded with cameos. You have cameos from Paul Schaefer, Angelica Houston, Fred Willard, and in case you didn't notice, in case you recognize the voice, but didn't catch it in the opening or when they have in the uh, scene at Bobby's house, uh, Frank Drescher's character, there's two mimes who were like servers. One is, speaking of Wayne's World, Dana Carvey, but the dark haired one who's talking is none other than Bruno Kirby's headlining co-star from City Slickers, Billy Crystal. So if you thought you recognized the voice and didn't know who it was, you absolutely did because it was Sir Billy Crystal. Uh, the sir is my emphasis. But uh, anyway, this is Spinal Tap. Now, I remember as a kid thinking when I first saw this on, I want to say VH1, as a very young child, I was like, oh, Spinal Tap, it's a, it's a rock band. I thought this was the first time, and I didn't sit down and watch it the whole way through because I thought it was just a real documentary. And I, I don't know how old I was, but VH1 played it when I was pretty young. Uh, at some point, I was like, oh, it's that band Spinal Tap. And watched a little bit of it and didn't realize it was a comedy. Like, <laughs> I... I, I movie legitimately when i saw it as a, at a young age i thought it was you know a real thing i thought it was like oh it's a band called spinal tap which the craziness is it actually kind of is which we'll get more into in the trivia and everything but uh, then you know years later when i actually watched the whole thing knowing that it's a mockumentary it's like this movie is a lot it's it's a riot it's it this is without a doubt one of the funniest movies in my opinion of the eighties. In fact, I was thinking too, like as a, we kind of finished our, you know, favorite films of the year going through each year sequentially of the eighties. I think another good like thing to throw in every now and then might be, you know, 10 best horror movies of the eighties, 10 best action movies of the eighties, which that would be really hard to do. Uh, and the 10 best comedies of the eighties, which this one, spoiler alert would be on there. Absolutely. Uh, now this isn't a film like the three amigos that I've seen. I can honestly say I've seen the three amigos probably over a hundred times, like legitimately watched it at least probably a hundred times or, or pretty close, pretty close. This is a film I've probably seen maybe five or six times. 
but the beauty in that is for at least for me is that because I'm familiar with it, but I'm not versed in it, if that makes sense. So that every time I watch it again, every time I revisit it, I I get something more out of it. Kind of like the same thing with the Three Amigos. I've seen it a hundred times, but I still watch it and still get like, oh, or I've, I've seen it so many times I've forgotten about a part. Uh, that just cracks me up. And this film, it's the same way. It's like, oh yeah, goes to 11. Oh, the sandwiches part. Oh, the Stonehenge part. Like, oh wait, I forgot about the whole drummer thing about the drummers throughout the movie. You know, so many different jokes. And it's, it's they're, because of the mockumentary style, which I, again, Christopher Guest has proven that he's a master of that with his subsequent films. And again, I highly recommend uh, Best in Show, Mighty Wind and Mascots. Check them out. Mascots, it was a Netflix original, I think. Uh, so that one, I know that one's streaming. The other ones, I'm not sure. But uh, if you haven't seen them, and you like spying out this movie. They're pretty good. They're really good. Uh, same kind of spirit. But uh, the the genius of this movie is, I mean, it's mainly all um, improvisational. But it's it, it, it works so good to where, like, again, as a child, not knowing, it's like I believe this is a real band. And again, technically, kind of is. They've released out. They've actually released albums of Spinal Tap. So <laughs> it's it's almost not a mockumentary in a way. It's a uh, it's a mock in terms of what they're dealing with, but they're actually a band. So it's really kind of confusing. It's 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 meta meta, I guess. I don't know how to put it. But uh yeah, this is in fact uh when I watched it, I watched it last night for the podcast, came downstairs after putting my lovely daughter to sleep after reading her a Sonic the Hedgehog story because she is so into Sonic, which is super great because I get to play the old school Sonic the Hedgehog games to keep her entertained. And I don't mm. mind doing that because I love the old Sonic games. But anyway, while I was watching that Abercrombie and Fitch documentary on Netflix, I'm like, hey, uh, Got to watch me for the podcast. I'm like, she's like, oh, which one? I'm like, oh, this is Spinal Tap. She's like, Ugh, it's so cheesy. I'm like, do you not remember this movie? <laughs> so then we obviously put it on. We're watching it, and then she's cracking up. So she was, she was wrong about it. So if you've never seen this movie, you need to see it. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's again one of the funniest movies of the '80s, in my opinion. Now, I will, I, I do understand. Let me preface that with this: everybody has a different sense of humor. This. You know, Christopher Guest's style and, and how it's done in this movie might not, you know, hit tickle that funny bone of everybody. But for me personally, I know a lot of people out there, because this is a huge cult film, it absolutely does. Uh, holds up very well. Watch it in HD, look great. You know, it still, has that, it still, even in HD, has that documentary feel to it, that little bit of fuzziness and everything. Uh, so it still looks, you know, it has that, it maintains kind of the aesthetic of the movie, like you're watching an old documentary from the eighties, which that's exactly what it is. But even in HD that translates, you know, when they clean up, as we talked about before, when they clean up the, the video on Friday the 13th and you see the wires that are holding somebody up when Jason's running them through with a wee whacker mm. kind of takes that. Yeah. The illusion for it. But uh, yeah, this film is all for me, honestly, bottom line is that it's just one of the most enjoyable films to just revisit for me personally. Uh, music's great. The acting's great. And you know, the, the chemistry between guest uh, McKean and Shearer is, is, is it's all, it's there on screen. Like you believe that they've been in a band forever, which they've known each other for a pretty long time anyway. So, you know, that's not so much, you know, you know, it's why that long is it, is it really even acting? It just comes natural because you have such a rapport with them, but it works so good. And to me, it just, the seamlessness of how it, you know, I feel like I've been on tour with Spinal Tap because <laughs> of this, uh, you know, so again, highest possible praise from me, for this film. Uh, and and I, this is one that like, you know, um, like for example, like the evil dead franchise, you know, they got, they got the series that came on stars, the new games about to come out later this month in about a week or so. Can't wait. 
uh, 10 days or so, I should say. Uh, oh, actually, Friday the 13th. So 11 days is when Evil Dead game comes out. Looking forward to it uh, myself. But, um, you know, Evil Dead uh, 2 and Army of Darkness, you know, they're cult movies, but they've kind of transcended the cultness to, you know, they're cult movies that everybody knows. Uh, you know, there's cult movies that they, they were cult, but then they've grown too popular because they've become popular movies, although they started off as a cult movie, if that makes sense. Uh, not no shade to that series because that's one of the greatest series of all time. And Evil Dead 2 is one of my favorite movies of all time, uh, as well as Army of Darkness. But this is Spinal Tap to me. It's still kind of like it's still firmly in that cult movie section uh, to where, you know, it, it, it still has, you know, this, the group, the, the cool kids, quote unquote, that know about it are still the cool. If you still know, if you know about it, you're still you're cool. If I, if I wear a Spinal Tap T-shirt and you see me and you look over and you nod and you point to the shirt and I nod back, you know, it's like that. Uh, it's still kind of that underground, under, uh, underground is kind of a trendy word. You know, I don't like using that word, but it's still kind of a, you know, I guess cults, like I said before, it's yeah. still kind of cult enough to where it's still a cult film and not overtly popular. Like Rocky Horror, for example. Mm, yeah. Is it, I mean, it, it, it's a cult film. Absolutely. It probably the cult film, to be honest with you, but everybody's practically heard of Rocky Horror at this point because it's, it has transcended that. Uh, was this a Spinal Tap? I don't think everybody's heard of it and to, and to, to that same level. But it is assuredly a cult film, uh, deservedly so. And it's fucking great. That's, that's all I can say. Uh, Jesse, uh, I know you've seen it, but I don't, I'm not sure if you had time to revisit it or not for have a fresh viewing. But uh, what are your thoughts and memories of This Is Spinal Tap? I have not revisited it in a while. And I think um, I need to do that, like, soon because you know uh wife and i are both musicians i think we'd appreciate this quite a bit absolutely but yeah uh my memory's spotty in my old age <laughs> we all, we're all right there most of the people <laughs> in this podcast we're all in the same boat yeah we're all at that age <laughs> but yeah it's definitely one that i think you know suits a lot of your uh hobbies and uh, talents as well. Mm-hmm. So highly, highly recommend revisiting it when you get a chance. Now, a lot, of, a lot of interesting trivia behind the scenes stuff for this film. Now, uh, I didn't know this. I need to get the Blu-ray because, or I need to make sure that the Blu-ray has it. But there's a commentary track that they do in character. Uh, <laughs> so I need to go to Amazon and add that to my list right now. So uh, I'll do that after the podcast, not literally right now. But uh, so I didn't get to, I didn't get a chance to do that to kind of add to any of the. Uh, stuff, but I have heard. Of, uh, in fact, our good friend Ben Wyatt down in Tasmania mentioned that in his email, which we'll get to at the end of the episode. Uh, but that's something I definitely, definitely want to check out. But uh, you know, the band is called Spinal Tap. What the hell is a Spinal Tap? Well, it's actually basically what's known as a lumbar puncture or LP. Uh, it's a medical procedure in which a needle is inserted into the spinal canal. Most commonly used to collect cerebrospinal fluid, or CSF, for diagnostic tests, uh, testing. Uh, the main reason for it is to help diagnose diseases of the central nervous system, including the brain and spine. Examples of these conditions include meningitis and subarachnoid hemorrhage. So that's what a spinal tap is, just in case you needed to know. That's the, uh, you know, we always like to educate mm-hmm. on the podcast. So there's your, uh, that's your medical minute here on 80s Revisited. <laughs> Uh, but Michael McKean, Christopher Guest, they both met while they were in college in New York City in the late 60s, and they played music together at that point, too. 
Uh, they worked with Harry Shearer and Rob Reiner on a TV pilot in 78 for a sketch comedy show called The TV Show. And on that uh, pilot, it featured a parody rock band called Spinal Taps. Spinal Tap was actually born in 1978 on the TV pilot for The TV Show. And uh, Shearer, Reiner, Christopher Guest, and McKean were all given $10,000 to write a script. Uh, they made a 20-minute version of the film to kind of demonstrate the improvisation they had in mind. And actually, several scenes from that demo are in the finished movie. Don't know which ones, but they're in there. And it's seamless, so it worked. You know, They just carried that right over to the, the full-length feature, which the movie, I think the movie clocks in at like an hour 24 or uh, 34. So it's either 84 or 94 minutes. Perfect, perfect length for a comedy film. Uh, hmm. They also, they're not only comic actors and writers, but they're also competent musicians. Uh, they played together in various configurations for both fun and parody before the film began production. They composed, rehearsed the songs. They did extensive research on groups of the era. They developed extensive backstories for the band and each of their characters so that during the on-screen interviews, the unrehearsed and unanticipated questions that they were asked could be answered in, answered in complete sincerity and, as we see in the film, hilarity. Uh, and the, to me, that deserves... That I mean, that this is like a ma- this movie is a masterclass in improvisation. You want to do improv? Watch this movie because it's based. You know, they're gag, they're visual gags, like you know him getting stuck in the pod, you know Stonehenge and all that kind of thing. Uh, but you know when they're being talked to, that's that's mainly all in this. You know, they have an idea of maybe what they want to say, but it's improvised and it works perfectly in the film, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, After the movie opened, several people told Rob Reiner that they loved the film, but he should have chosen a more well-known rock band for a documentary. (laughs) (laughs) Proving once again, no matter how old you are, you can get fooled by this movie. Uh, I thought this was funny, too. Uh, Not a single one of the three lead actors are English, which is a big reversal, which we talk (laughs) about here on the podcast a lot. How You have a lot of, you know, uh, like Andrew Lincoln on The Walking Dead is super English when he talks normally, but, you know, he's Rick Grimes. You know, beautiful American accent. You know, a lot of time... It's the reverse, but in this movie, it's a bunch of Yankees with English accents. So thought that was pretty funny. Uh, and also the entire movie, every frame was shot in Los Angeles County in about five weeks, including the visit to Elvis Presley's grave. It was filmed at a park in Altadena with a mock-up of the gravesite. Because I, I was watching when watching that scene this time, I was like, I know there's a fence around it. I guess they didn't have a fence around his grave in 84. Well. Maybe they did because this was not actually filmed at Elvis's grave. And speaking of that scene, they sing Heartbreak Hotel because that was the only Elvis song which the production company could get the rights to use. So that's why they sing Heartbreak Hotel at the grave of, or the, the mock grave, I should say, of the king. Uh, Rob Reiner was actually originally going to be one of the band members. I guess he would have been the drummer or one of the drummers, I should say. But he ended up directing and being the director after Harry Shearer pretty much told him, bro, quote, you don't look good in spandex, end quote. <laughs> so, although that could have lended itself to some hilarious things as well, but it all worked out with the drummer being, or the drummers being uh, constantly replaced and the stories <laughs> behind it. Uh, and when they talk about their drummer suffocating on vomit, it's actually a reference to a number of musicians who have died or have rumored to have died in the same way, including Jimi Hendrix, Led Zeppelin drummer John Bonham, ACDC lead singer Bon Scott, big band leader Tommy Dorsey, uh, the dude from, I think, Drowning Pool, bad band name, mm. <laughs> also died that way, I believe. Mm. Uh, so there's a lot of like in-jokes uh, with the 
music community as well. Uh, one of them also, Nigel Tufnell, they got that name as a joke on Eric Clapton's name because it's derived from, quote, dull name, Eric, Nigel, and, quote, location in London. Eric became Nigel and Clapton Pond became Tufnell Park. Eric Clapton, Nigel Tufnell. Get what I'm saying? Hmm. Uh, Derek Small's bass playing technique, where he plays with one hand, the other is free to point in the air, like he's he rocking out. Uh, he based that on the bass player from Saxon. And uh, contrary to the rumor, the too small Stonehenge scene, which cracks me up just thinking about it as it's lowered from the ceiling, uh, it's actually not a parody of Black Sabbath's oversized Stonehenge sets from their Born Again tour, but uh, actually it's a reference to uh, a setup for Led Zeppelin's final two U.S. concerts at the Oakland Coliseum, where the stage was framed by a large Stonehenge-like monolith. And speaking of the Zep, and to get more of the lead out, uh, when Nigel rubs the violin, not the string, the bow of the violin, but the actual violin against his guitar during the solo, that is obviously a parody of Led Zeppelin guitarist Jimmy Page, who used the bow to play guitar during many concert performances. Uh, and many rock stars have actually commented on what an uncannily accurate spoof the movie is of the rock and heavy metal worlds. Uh, Ozzy Osbourne said that when he first watched the film, he was the only person who wasn't laughing. He thought it was a real documentary. <laughs> uh, uh, the Edge from U2 said, quote, I didn't laugh. I wept. It was so close to the truth. Uh, Marillion, never heard of him, had five drummers in the space of a year between their first two albums, which guitarist Steve Rothery later admitted was, quote, just like Spinal Tap. Uh, and since the, f the film was pretty much mainly improvised by all the performers, not just guests Reiner, McKean, and Shearer, they, uh, those four actually went to the Writers Guild hoping to give proper credit to everybody in the cast. But the board of directors of the Writing Guild voted unanimously that, no, the credit should only include those four. So uh, a couple of dicks, or a lot of dicks there, I guess. Probably were a bunch of old white men, so literally a bunch of dicks. Uh, the oral sea naval cap uh, that uh, Rob Reiner wears in this film, yes, it says oral. It doesn't say coral. It's a it's an OO. Uh, but it actually makes an appearance in The Princess Bride, which I don't remember if we mentioned that on, I think we did on the trivia for that film. Uh, but just to remind you, and that, but that was there because the composer for The Princess Bride was Mark Knopfler of Dire Straits fame. Uh, and one of his reasons that he would, conditions, I should say, that he would do the film was only if that hat appeared in the movie. And it appears in Fred Savage's bedroom. Obviously not in medieval times when uh, Peter Falk is reading to Fred Savage, but it's there. And uh, Knopfler has later said he was just joking when he made that offhanded remark as well. So uh, the most pretentious musicians of all time, Liam and Noel Gallagher of Oasis, they once went to see Spinal Tap play live. The three stars performed as their own opening act, The Folksman, which is from A Mighty Wind. Uh, so they actually, they were their own opening act as different characters. It was actually at Wembley Stadium. Uh, and Liam was bored with the folk music opening act, so his brother had to explain that the Folksman were actually the same band as Spinal Tap, and that's actually when Liam Gallagher became distraught as he realized Spinal Tap was not, quote, a real band. But I digress. They actually are a real band because they're playing their instruments. They've released three albums, so they're real. Spinal Tap is a real band. You, <laughs> it's, it's just a mockumentary that is parroting the, you know, the rock and roll heavy metal scene. Uh, this is also a professional wrestler and rock star, Chris Jericho's mm. favorite movie. Uh, Empire Magazine ranked this as the number 48th film on its list of the 500 greatest movies of all time. 
And speaking of cult films, it is ranked number one on Entertainment Weekly's list of top 50 cult films of all time. I'm not sure what the other ones were, but I would be willing to bet Rocky Horror has to be, yeah. if, it, if it's not number one, probably number two. Which I agree with that ranking because this is still legitimately a cult film, as we talked about earlier. Uh, on the AFI's Institute's list of top 100 funniest films, it's on there. I did not get the number for some reason where it places, but it's in the top 100. In 2002, it was deemed, quote, culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant by the Library of Congress and was selected for preservation by the National Film Registry. And I'd like to leave you with this last bit of trivia. At one time, many years ago, IMDb ranking system for this movie alone had a special scale that went from 1 to 11. (laughs) That special scale no longer exists. It was number 29 on AFI's list, so pretty day, right under Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. Although under Something About Mary, which Final Tap and <laughs> Ghostbusters are both way funnier than There's Something About Mary. Wow. And so those other movies I haven't even seen, so I can't say. What's number one? Number one was Some Like It Hot, and Tootsie was number two. I do like Some Like okay. It Hot. That's a, that's a movie I can watch yeah. again and again. So. They're funny. Blazing Saddles, number Annie Hall, number four. Wow. That movie's... I don't find it funny. Uh, <laughs> Duck Soup, Marx Brothers, number five. Blazing Saddles, though, number six. Of the top ten, Airplanes, number ten. Graduates, number nine. I'd say of my of the top ten, I think the funniest one's Blazing Saddles, personally. Mm-hmm. Dr. Strangelove, yeah, it's a, it's kind of a comedy, but it's, I wouldn't put it on yeah. the top 100. Like, it's not, that's, I mean, that's more satire. You know, I mean, satire isn't, I mean, yeah, it's humorous, but it's not like, it's no Ghostbusters or this is Spinal Tap, let's put it to you that way. Wow, not at the opera in the top 10, two Marx Brothers films. Wow. Wow, in top 13, two uh, Mel Brooks ones with Young Frankenstein. So AFI loves Mel Brooks and the Marx Brothers, which <laughs> can't complain about that. It's a bunch of old white dudes, probably. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Pretty much. For, maybe, maybe not today, but probably then. Score-wise, jokingly, I'm being facetious, I give it an 11. Uh, obviously, our score doesn't go that high, much like IMDb's. <laughs> but this film gets a special honorary 11. As far mm-hmm. as I'm concerned, there's an asterisk by it because that's not its actual score, but it's getting the honorary score of 11. But in terms of our actual scale, I give it a nine. It's like legit. This movie, every time I watch it, it's, I think one of the, adva- you know, there's some movies you've seen a hundred times, like the three amigos, like Ghostbusters, where you can quote it. You play, you play, you walk into a restaurant and they're playing Ghostbusters and I'm like sitting there quoting it line for line, wherever it, it, it picks up. You know, I can't do that for Spinal Tap. But the, the benefit of that is, you know, these movies that are just so funny that you're not quite as familiar with is that every time you watch it, it's just it's so it's just insane how funny it is again, because you're not that lack of familiarity or, uh, in, in, uh, you know, intensive familiarity. Because, of course, you remember the oh, it goes to 11. Oh, it's just D mine as the saddest score of all as the saddest note of all time. Uh, then then uh, speaking of that, didn't uh, Trey Parker, Matt Stone say something similar? Did they say D minor. I think, or C or something. I can't remember. Uh, yeah. There was an interview with them where I think they echoed either the D minor <laughs> or said a different. Don't was like the that. saddest of all time. Uh, uh, I, can I know see they did. I can't that. think of it, but they said something very similar. Yeah. But uh, yeah, bottom line is Spinal Tap. This is Spinal Tap, one of the funniest movies ever made. If you haven't seen it, I recommend it. But again, little small little asterisk there. It's not the kind of humor that I think is universal. I think, and this, I, I, I do not like to sound pretentious. If I ever come across pretentious, I'm sorry. I truly don't mean to. But I think it is a certain kind of humor. But I think it's a level, and I would call it genius humor. Because it's the subtle, 
natural humor that just comes from having these three comedic geniuses who created these this these fictional you know much you know akin to David Bowie doing Ziggy Stardust and more recently Garth Brooks doing Chris Gaines kind of thing you know basically having these rock and roll alter egos that's <laughs> <laughs> every time the Stonehenge comes down goddamn it's so funny oh boy well, again audio joke on a visual podcast sorry everybody but yeah this is Spinal Tap if you haven't seen it Trey says check it out. <laughs> And again, in the real world, this film released March 2nd, 1984, uh, about a week or so, week and some change before, the TED conference was founded on February 23rd. So that's what TED Talks, Final Tap, same kind of moment in history. And then uh, let's see, eight days later after this release, the lovely and talented Olivia Wilde was born. And she just got served. We're watching the uh, <laughs> latest news uh, by a lawyer or uh, it's not a lawyer. I don't think it's not a lawyer that does it. It's a company that like serves papers for custody because her and Jason Sudeikis broke up because she's dating Harry Styles. Lucky son of a bitch. Mm. Uh, so she's been in the news lately, but yeah, she was born just a couple days after this film. So puts it into perspective, I guess a little bit. Spinal Tap is as old as Olivia Wilde. Well, yeah. the, the movie, at least the band's technically older, but wow. again, uh, you know, musically you can go to iTunes right now and you can, Get Spinal Tap's three albums. They're right there for you. They are officially a band. The film is a mockumentary about, a, obviously, the events in the film are fictionalized, but the band is technically real. So that's the <laughs> official stance of 80s Revisited. Mm. Uh, but back to the future this week. As promised last episode, which was unfortunately two weeks ago, instead of just one, the Batman hit streaming right before or that same day. And me and Jesse have both seen the Batman. Mm. And uh, Jesse, why don't you go first? What did you think of 2022's The Batman? You mean Vengeance? <laughs> <laughs> Vengeance, the movie. Yeah, because I don't think anyone called him Batman. <laughs> I think his yeah. name was Vengeance. Yeah, because Catwoman even makes that joke. She's like, what about you, Vengeance? <laughs> Everybody called him Vengeance. <laughs> um, I enjoyed it. Uh, enjoyed it way more than I thought I would. Uh, I didn't have high hopes going in, even though people were saying uh, a lot of positive things. Um, but, you know, I went in light. But I really liked um, – this was like a low-action Batman. Yeah. And I appreciated that. It was more the detective Batman. And, uh, you know, you get a lot of the action Batmans from the other movies. But mm -hmm. this one was just him. I mean, it was like a Law and Order Batman, basically. <laughs> just him going yeah. around solving a crime. Uh, and I like that. Absolutely. Yeah. I That's what, honestly, that was the biggest thing that endeared this movie to me was that, because that, that's 100%, you, like, you hit the bullseye from same, my exact same opinion, mm -hmm. is that, you know, we, we've, we had Batfleck, you know, where he's. I haven't got, even we, we seen Batfleck, to be honest. You're, oh really? Oh wow! I've never been introduced. Oh wait, no, no, take that back. I saw Superman versus Batman, but I never saw Justice League, and I never saw. I don't, don't, I don't know what else Justice. was. I, that's why I keep hearing. So those two. I don't see it. <laughs> uh, yeah, but you like for like uh, you know Batfleck to me like you know, the scene that sums up him is that warehouse scene in Batman versus Superman where he saves uh, Martha. You know, yeah, because that's basically yeah. referencing Dark Knight Returns and you know the brutal Batman. Batman does have that side to him, but we've seen that in pretty much every movie. Mm -hmm. What we don't get to see is that the fact that Batman, his first moniker was the world's greatest detective. Mm -hmm. This the Batman was a detective. You know, it's about him them trying to solve a crime, and I like how he's 
he's not really a superhero. He's a, he is, he is, he's a vigilante in this. You know, it's basically Batman year one. Because uh, like one of the biggest criticisms I hear about is like, oh, I loved it, but the third act, he didn't save anybody. Well, I like that because you expect him to save everybody. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I like how it was like he, you know, he couldn't handle it. You know, he, he did everything he could, but he couldn't stop the bombs all around the city because they didn't get the riddle. You know, in the Batman 66 thing, it's like the Riddler leaves a riddle. What has four eyes and likes to read books? And, you know, and Robin's like, geez, Batman, what is it? And Ro- Batman rubs his chin. A librarian, Robin. A librarian with glasses. <laughs> you know, it's like they just they just figure him out like immediately and they solve the crime like right there. <laughs> this one was like, this, this was like, to me, it was this Batman or the Batman blended almost every other Batman that we've had before into one movie. Uh, not except you, know, except for the I guess the the sixty six. Uh, I guess maybe in, maybe in some little things, but uh, I, I I like exactly like you said. I like how it was like solving a crime. It was seven. It, mm, this was yeah. uh, basically the Batman. The Dark Knight was Heat with capes. This was seven with capes. <laughs> and uh, I think, I think Pattinson was amazing uh, personally, which no surprise to me. Cause I've seen the lighthouse. I've seen good time. I've seen his other stuff. I've never seen twilight. Uh, the dude's a phenomenal actor. And I think he did great. Uh, I, I didn't like Bruce Wayne's look, but that doesn't matter because it was fine. It, it, I guess it fit the movie. Uh, I thought, uh, what's her name? Uh, Zoe Kravitz was great as Catwoman. I like what they did with the character. Uh, the Riddler, they made the Riddler scary. Absolutely uh, made the Riddler terrifying. And uh, Colin Farrell as the Penguin, bro, like, <laughs> yeah. there was only one scene where I could see Colin Farrell in that makeup when they were interrogating him, or they had him like, where they kind of left him when they drove off to go to the orphanage. Uh, they could have saved but, a uh, lot on. They could have saved on makeup budget, but spent a lot more on acting budget if they got Robert De Niro, because <laughs> he almost kind of looked like him. <laughs> yeah, I could see that for sure. I wish I would have made him a little more penguin-like in terms of his appearance or something. Maybe give him a little more of a beaky nose or something to explain why they call him the penguin. Uh, but, you know, again, minor, minor quibbles. <laughs> but, uh, again, I think it was casted well. The, you know, the three hours flew by, mm-hmm. personally. I was like, okay, three hours, got to sit down. I was just like, oh, wow. It's, it's like it just great pacing, great direction, great acting. I thought the, the writing was fine. I personally, you know, again, I, of course you can nitpick it. But me personally, it's, a, it's you know, I, you know, The Dark Knight gets, a, I'm not, I will never talk shit about The Dark Knight. It's an amazing movie. Uh, but it's such, it's, it's almost hard to compare it uh, to even to The Dark Knight. Because this is, like I said, The Dark Knight is heat. This is seven. <laughs> you know, my prolific, uh, uh, my interest, you know, I, I tend to favor horror movies over, you know, drama movies. Uh, so, you know, the horror aspects in this are pretty chilling. Uh, the end when it's, when the Riddler's plan re- is revealed. So spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the Batman, but when it basically shows like all those like wannabes, like on that, on his 4chan thread or whatever. Right, right. Like saying that they're going to like, and get in, when it shows them like getting the guns, like that gave me chills. That was like, that was fright. That was like absolutely terrifying to me because that could absolutely happen. I could see that happening in this world, uh, our world, the real world. You know, so I really think they put a lot of, a, a lot of good thought into it uh, and everything. I'm excited to see where it goes. 
Uh, honestly, my favorite Batman film is probably Batman Returns. Is <laughs> my favorite. I'm not saying it's the best, but uh, but uh, Batman Returns. If I'm gonna, if somebody says pick pick a Batman film to watch right now, I'm gonna watch Batman Returns. I get, When's the last time you revisited that? Every Christmas. Okay. I love I mean, again. Is it the best? No. I mean, is it my favorite? Absolutely, it's my favorite one. I would keep yeah. seeing DeVito as the trash man or something every time <laughs> I, if I revisit it. <laughs> I could see that. But like, I mean, but honestly, before Sonny, he was the penguin to me. And he still oh, is for the, sure. You know, uh, you know, I mean, to me, you know, because, again, when you're comparing like you got Burton's Batman, you got Schumacher's Batman films, you got the Nolan trilogy and you got this one. It's really comparing apples to oranges for a lot of them because they're so they're all really such different takes on the character. Uh, same thing with, you know, with the, the portrayals of the Joker, for instance. You know, you got Ledger's, and then you got Joaquin's, you got Leto's. Bleh. You know, oh, oh, we're watching, you know, you, you got your, your HBO Max right now. Like, that whole intro, we're like, you know, I'm in, yeah, I could be in every shadow. Right. Brilliant. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. God, I, that was just like, that sums up Batman. Mm-hmm. They, the, fear, the Batman fear of got Batman. Batman. Exactly. And like mm-hmm. right from that opening, like all that's just like they, 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 these people, every, they got it. They understand the essence of Batman. Not that Nolan didn't, not that Keaton didn't. They all had different aspects of that. Don't get me wrong. And I, cause I don't want to overhype this movie, but you know, I'm, I've seen every Batman movie there is. And this one is top fucking tier as far as I'm concerned. Uh, you know, so, but yeah, my favorite is definitely Batman Returns. Mm-hmm. Uh, a Catwoman number one is the reason. <laughs> B, you know, Michael Keaton's still the best Batman to me. Uh, Burton's direction. I like that version of Gotham City because to me, it, 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 it really combines uh, darkness with the, the court. You know, I think Tim Burton's vision for Batman was kind of what was necessary for him to exist in film to, at first because of, you know, at that in '89, comic book movies were not what they are today, where there's one every fucking week. Uh, not complaining, uh, although you know, well, Morbius. <laughs> maybe I can't complain. Uh, you know, when you start when you start doing movies about the Eternals and Morbius, you know, maybe it's time to slow them down or, or refocus to some of the characters <laughs> that actually deserve to have movies on them. But anyway, yeah, the Batman, and then uh, also Jackass Forever. Uh, we were talking about that off the air. Uh, I don't think we mentioned that, but we both seen that as well. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was where I, again, like, you know, <laughs> I had a good time. They're, a bunch, of, they're mm-hmm. a bunch of jackasses, but that opening scene, dear God, I don't, I, if you would have asked me, would I, Trey, would you think you will ever see a movie that a Godzilla parody where Godzilla is played by, a <laughs> okay. I would yeah. say no, but I was wrong. <laughs> Jackass forever. People see it. It's, uh, and you know, and, and I guess it's also, you know, it's, it, it's the, uh, but I'll be honest, like, uh, when, Jack, when Jackass came out, watched every episode, seen every episode recently, or a couple years ago, we watched every episode again after uh, the last movie. Uh, but, you know, those guys are, are fucking hilarious. You know, is, is it toilet <laughs> humor? Is it just people getting hurt? Yeah, but it is, they are masters at it. It's fucking hilarious. But I'll tell you right now, one of the greatest Jackass sequences or pranks, whatever you want to call it, is in the movie and it's the one where they turn out the lights with the snake. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't think I've ever laughed. I haven't laughed that hard in the movie in a very long time. I was hurting during that sequence because yeah, I'm not going to spoil it. You have to see it. 
And that's Watch something that you can season. do at home, like with your, uh, you know, Thanksgiving <laughs> or something. Absolutely. <laughs> it's simple. It's great. Jackass 3, or Jackass Forever, I should say, like, and, you know, it ends with them, like, you know, this, like, hey, we're done. Like, basically, like, we're, we're too old to do it anymore. This is this is the last time we're going to do this. Yeah. So they say. Uh, but, you know, they had some new talent in there to further the franchise, I guess. Passing the torch. But, uh, yeah, but, I mean, those guys have been through hell. And you know what? You know, there's some, there's some good guys. You know what I'm saying? Uh, <laughs> sick humor. <laughs> They're torturing each other. But I got a lot of respect for the OG Jackass crew. Uh, so... But uh, check it out if you like that kind of stuff. Who now before my voice gives out, I had a cold last week too. Uh, coming back from Disney, so uh, thankfully I've gotten over it a little bit. But it's starting to—I can hear it in my voice. But we got to catch up on some emails. Got not one, not two, but three. We got to hit. Uh, first off, uh, Ben sent it last week, giving his Spinal Tap feedback. Uh, ben White in Tasmania says, hello, gents. It's been forever since you've covered a movie I've actually seen, let alone one I love. And I rewatched <laughs> just last, la- uh, if I could talk. Sorry, Ben. Just last month. So I had to write in. I first watched Spinal Tap long ago as a young teenager and simply didn't understand the humor. Same. Uh, I was too young for it and was really confused because I thought it was real, except for Billy Crystal and the nanny being in it. I went back to it years later and became one of my favorite comedies. When you take into account the home releases of this, it's a perfect comedy. As soon as you finish watching it, you can then restart it. But with the cast commentary, which is I mentioned earlier, that is done by the band in character for more jokes. If that isn't enough, there's an hour of unused footage that could nearly be its own film. Speaking of Jackass, similar to how Jackass movies have the .5 versions. I appreciate that Spinal Tap has lived on in pop culture long after the film with all their appearances and character on shows like SNL and the other late night shows and, of course, reforming for Live Earth. There's so many classic scenes, so it's Nigel's problem with the catering, the amp going to 11, Stonehenge, shit sandwich, none more, and none more black, and so many more. Okay, that's it for me this week. Talk to you later. 100% Ben. It is, as we talked about before, I mentioned before, one of the absolute funniest damn movies of all time. (laughs) And then a uh, uh, good friend, Ryan Lara. L- Ryan, I apologize if I pronounce your last name wrong. Lara, L- I'm just going to say Lara. Yes, it's LL, like llama. So I guess it's just Lara. So again, apologies <laughs> if it's wrong. But he actually sent an email back in March that somehow didn't come across until we actually emailed and said, hey, guys, did I miss the episode? I, had an, I sent an email in. Well, we found it after I talked to him. I had to Google, uh, Google it. I had to search the email for it to pop up because it just, for some reason, was not in the inbox. But it's there. So catching up with this email back from March from my good friend, Ryan Larry says, Hey guys, been a while since I last wrote, just finished the Indiana Jones trilogy of shows from a few years ago. I think they're finally rumors of a fifth one that we could hopefully appropriately call the fourth. And yeah, but I think they're, they're filming it now or maybe rap filming. It's probably in post. I'm not sure. So hopefully it is. I agree. Hopefully it's good enough. We could say that it's the fourth one. Uh, but in listening to the end, you mentioned something along the lines of the movie major league. I can't find it in the archives, but I think a sports month or months since summer is here would be great. Major League and Field of Dreams are musts. Sorry, I got distracted watching the Oscars where Will Smith almost knocked the fuck out of Chris Rock. <laughs> anyway, I'm sure you could find some sports movies to cover, perhaps one or two from each of the main sport, or even one of the less popular ones. Uh, stay tuned for the next episode for a very interesting surprise there, Ryan. Uh, something else you could discuss is I just listened to the Last Dragon episode. The voice of the movie trailer guy, which I'm sounding more and more like every minute here. <laughs> he was <laughs> yeah. all over uh, introducing movies in the 80s. We should know more about him. Also, happy anniversary. April 1st, 2012 was the first episode. Ten years this year, Jesse. I think we mentioned that a couple episodes after the fact. Uh, but keep up the good work. Let's get this going so we can get to another movie character death match. Ryan Lara. 
Absolutely, Ryan. And uh, speaking of the movie trailer guy, or as he's more well known as Dan LaFontaine, uh, he doesn't get to do many more movie trailers because he passed away mm. in 2008 and he's buried right next to the stars whose movies he promoted in Hollywood Forever Cemetery. But yeah, in a world where Trey's voice lasts the entire episode. Everybody knows the movie I parodied all over. In fact, the uh, the YouTube channel uh, Honest Trailers is basically parodying him yep. uh, the whole time. But I mean, uh, you know, he, he, you know, especially when we grew up, uh, Don LaFontaine was the voice of the movies. Honestly, you know, every single movie trailer, you know, ninety nine percent of them. You should, you know, of course, if you could find the exact ratio, I'm sure it's less than that. But I mean, he did them all. You know, like he was killed as a cop. But they rebuilt him <laughs> as a robot. Peter Weller is RoboCop. You know, every it, it works for every movie. You just do that voice. Uh, you get you you know you shout out your daughter at Disneyland for two days, then you come home. You get a you get a sore throat. You get a cold. You get over it. You sound just like Mr. Fontaine. So yeah, uh, that's you know that's about all I know about him. <laughs> but that's his name. He's not the movie trailer guy. Uh, so yeah, but unfortunately he passed away, but uh, you know, unforgettable, Unfor- you know, much like, you know, we had, we had a lot of good voices growing up in the eighties with the micro machines guy with the movie trailer guy, mm-hmm. you know, who else? I don't know. That's the two I can think of. Uh, off the top Michael of my Winslow head. with none. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, Michael Winslow, uh, police Academy. <laughs> yeah. Non voices, you know, but police, yeah. Police. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, Dana Carvey, you know, man, uh, always did good. You know, I guess that's more of an impression thing, I guess. Uh, you know, yeah. I guess nowadays it's mainly just Morgan Freeman yeah, uh, for the most part. But yeah, uh, so thanks for the email, Ryan. I got some good news for you when we talk about next episode. And then our last email, let me make sure I get to it, uh, from a new listener, Thomas Strickland. He says, good afternoon. This is Tom, the plane puller from Virginia. Yes, you heard me right. Tom literally pulls planes. He straps, hmm. I guess, a vest and a chain, and he pulls planes. He sent a video what? Attached to the email, he was uh, pulling a plane for the Special Olympics. Uh, so, first off, appreciate you, Tom, <laughs> using your talents for good. Uh, you know, uh, send me back an email. Let me know a little bit more about the plane pulling stuff. I find that very. Like, how'd you get into? How'd you just like? You know what? You're, I mean, were you sitting on an airplane, just like you know what? I can pull this thing. And you, you, you know, they put the plane in neutral and you pull it. Or maybe they keep it in with the brakes engaged. I have no clue how that works. Educate <laughs> us, Tom. I'm, I'm challenging you. Send me another email. Let us know about it. But anyway, he continues, first-time caller. I enjoy your podcast very much. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Uh, He goes on to say, as a kid, I saw the first Star Wars opening day in the afternoon with my uncle with maybe six other people in the theater. Can you imagine that? (laughs) Like, you know, because obviously it's not Star Wars yet or what it is. I went back the next day to see it and couldn't even get in. That's how fast it was, everybody. Mm -hmm. That's how fast Star Wars became pop culture from somebody who was there. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's a fact. Uh, so fast forward to 1982, the year I graduated high school and joined the Navy. I started leaning towards Star Trek for the military aspects, as well as a heavy metal fan. I got a, I got a quick episode 266, Star Trek 5, the final frontier question for you that I didn't want to look up myself, because if I'm wrong, then I also lose the idea for a show. Anyway, he says, my first question is, in the famous Queensryche video, Operation Mindcrime, uh, the series of, series of videos from uh, that album, the actor that plays Dr. X in all the videos... Is that the same guy that plays Spock's half-brother and just wanted everyone to give me your pain? Well, I got an answer for you right there on that one, Tom. It is not. Uh, the, uh, in the music videos for the, uh, the Mind Crimes videos from the album, uh, Dr. X was actually played by a gentleman named Milan Melvin. 
not uh, the son-in-law of Lucy and Desi. I forgot his name, but he, hmm. uh, let's see, actor-wise, uh, two credits. SNL <laughs> for an uncredited biker and the video short as Dr. X for uh, video my, uh, Operation Mindcrime. He was hmm. voiced, uh, Mr. X was voiced on the album uh, by an English actor uh, by the name of, oh, I lost my note here, sorry, uh, Anthony Valentine in the first album. But in the latter album, Dr. X was voiced by none other than one of the greatest voices in all of music, the late, always fucking great, Ronnie James Dio. Uh, so that answers that question, those questions for you. Mm. But uh, watching the video, he does look, with that goatee and everything, he does look like, Sa- uh, not Savick, uh, what was his name? Saren? God damn, I can't remember his name from that episode. <laughs> uh, but Stock's, Spock's half-brother looks just like him. Uh, then you get on to say, second question, is that guy that plays Nikki, the drug addict, Dr. X's hit, hit, hit man, he looks familiar t- too. Do you know why that is? And from what 80s movies, commercials, I might have seen him? Or is he in a band that was helping Queensryche? Well, it's the latter, and I just accidentally closed my goddamn tab where I had his name up <laughs> for you. Uh, shit, where was it? Sorry. Oh, Dennis Henning is the guy that was Nikki in the music videos, and he has three credits. Uh, the only other place you might have seen him as a gas station mechanic in an episode of Rescue Me with Dennis Leary. So just got one of them faces, I guess. You know what he says. Uh, also, hap- oh, whoops, that was Ryan's email. Sorry, I got too <laughs> many tabs open. I'm go- I'm tab happy. Uh, not the drink from the '80s, uh, which now comes to my show idea. How about how many '80s music videos were the launching platform for actors, and where did it lead to? Uh, sounds like a fun and great show. Absolutely. Uh, that's something I'll do some research on, though. Uh, you know, first one, the first one that comes to mind, Courtney Cox from Bruce Springsteen's Dancing in the Dark video. Uh, of course, there's many, many other actors and mainly directors, too, that started in music videos. I want to say uh, David Fincher started in music videos. Michael Bay, I believe, started in commercials and music videos. So definitely a good and interesting idea for a show. Uh, however, that will require a lot of research. So that'll be something you know, I'll kind of keep on the, on the back burner. Uh, to kind of get a good list of, you know, of course, obviously, specifically for 80s music videos. So, or you know what? We'll just Google it and let the Internet do our research for us. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> we like to do a little bit of it ourselves. So there you go. Three great emails. And going back to Ryan's uh, next week, uh, summer baseball special. Going to do a two, uh, little duology here for you, Ryan, but also for me, because it is it is May. It's going to be May. We're recording this May 2nd. We're two days into May. So it's summer, not though technically not officially, but that means the boys of summer are coming back. The boys of summer, that great Don Henley song, I believe from the 80s, maybe the 90s. I'm not sure when it came out. Seems like it was the 80s or definitely early 90s. Uh, but the boys of summer, a.k.a. baseball players. So we're going to do a nice little twofer. First, we're going to start off with 1989's Major League next week and follow it up with, so, 1989's Field of Dreams, which will, uh, actually, you know what? Hmm, definitely going to do Major League next week. Might say Field of Dreams for like Father's Day or something in June. <laughs> I don't know. I want Because uh, I think, mother, actually, no, Mother's Day is this weekend. It's like Mother's Day is really fucking early this week, uh, year. So if you've got to get something for your mom, it's this weekend, bros and broettes. So uh, don't forget Mother's Day. But uh, anyway, you know, we'll keep it like I have it planned out. So this week, uh, next week, I should say Major League with Charlie Wild Thing Sheen and Wesley Snipes. Uh, looking forward to watching that one. I love part one and two. I love them both. Love that series. Uh, I think there was a third one that was maybe like either direct to DVD or direct to TV. 
don't think I've seen that one. So I think it is a trilogy, but I'll consider it a duology until they make an official three with Charlie Sheen. And then after that, we will go, we'll keep it as it is. We'll do Major League next week, Field of Dreams week after that. Baseball to doubleheader. Hey, 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 it writes itself. It writes itself. <laughs> so next up, baseball doubleheader. Uh, and honestly, uh, Ryan, don't do a lot of sports movies because – I don't like sports <laughs> pretty much not to say no, uh, you know, being facetious. There's some great sports movies out there. Uh, of course, if Daniel, if you're unfamiliar with Daniel, if you're just listening, go back and listen to the first 20, 30 episodes uh, till he stopped listening <laughs> <laughs> for the original Genesis of the show, which uh, obviously is not anymore. Cause Asia visit has started with me being a movie connoisseur talking with my good friend, Daniel, who hadn't seen any of these movies, so we're getting a nostalgic opinion and a virgin opinion. And then life, life, uh, life uh, got in the way uh, there. And then I had to bow out respectfully. Doing well, by the way, if you want a Daniel checkup. But yeah, so anyway, uh, before my voice goes totally, totally down the drain, send us an email, 80srevisited at gmail.com. We will read it on the show. And if you sent one, and it never got read on the show. Do what Ryan did and let me know because weird shit happens sometimes. <laughs> but also on Facebook, 80s Revisited Podcast. On Instagram, 80s underscore revisited. And also uh, check out our good friend uh, John and Lafayette with his Cajun Toy Review YouTube channel. And of course, uh, Ben with uh, Ben Wyatt, Tasmanian Devil himself with uh, Tas- uh, Tasmanian Championship Wrestling, TCW. Big things coming for the former Doom Slayer based on a. Uh, Facebook, uh, it's not a TikTok, uh, a reel, I think it's yeah. called on Facebook that I saw. So uh, keep your eyes peeled for that. And of course, leave a review. And again, if you hate this show, leave a review. Say you hate it. I don't care. But just say why. Because we are woke, according to our latest one star review for a three second thing that was misquoted in the review, which. I read. I went to check the reviews earlier today, oh, you did? just okay. to see. And uh, I saw that one, and just made me mad again. Because what do I hate? Being misquoted. So <laughs> there you go. But yeah, uh, again, next week, everybody, 89's Major League. You can stream it. I did look this up because I just remember to do this and add it to my show notes. Uh, you can stream it on Stars if you have that edition on. I think Amazon or if you have the Stars streaming service. It is streaming there. Unfortunately, it's not streaming anywhere else. However, you can rent it on YouTube and Amazon. And you can always, again, before you do that, you can just try Major League 89 on YouTube and you might get the whole movie. Mm. Uh, it might be mirrored or something. <coughs> it's going. Sorry, Jesse. It's going like I was uh, a few months ago. <laughs> I, I, will, I will not sound like this next week. I'm, <laughs> I'm in that phase where it's, I'm coughing it up because of Mucinex and everything. Right. So it's, it's hell of my vocal cords, man. Mm. But anyway, until next week, everybody, listen to Spinal Tap, watch their movie, buy their albums, give them the respect they deserve. And until next week, when we play ball, I will remain Trey Harris. Jesse Sedgley. Cowabunga! Cowabunga! <laughs>